Everybody, welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 204 uh, as we continue with the chartering of the Fellowship of the Ring or the Company of the Ring, really, as it is called uh, almost all the way through the text, as we were discussing last time. Um, but um, uh, I'm excited to get back into things. There was that was uh, I was not I was a little blindsided by how much there was to talk about in that slide last time. We'll see if we can we'll see if we can get through it all uh, this time. But uh, uh, before, just a couple quick announcements. First, well, okay, not sure exactly how quick. I shouldn't overpromise there. But uh, first, Bay Moot is coming up. Our next regional moot uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area is happening. Bay Moot is on the 6th of November. Go to signumuniversity.org slash events and you will find the link to Bay Moot where you can uh, find more information and register. The call for presentations, uh, for, you know, for proposals to present and stuff, closes um, next week, I think. So uh, there's still time to, uh, uh, to propose to make a presentation. You can do a presentation either remotely or locally. Um, so um, I uh, uh, strongly urge you to uh, to get involved there. I am really looking forward to connecting with folks again uh, out there in California. I haven't gotten to do that uh, uh, in a couple years now. So looking forward to getting back out to, to Berkeley, which is where uh, the event is going to be held. Uh, actually, same place where we held it two years back uh, last time we had it. So. Um, hope that many of you will be able to join us for that. Um, uh, I would look forward to seeing people, uh, you know, there uh, physically, but um, the digital attendance has been really great. I've been extremely pleased uh, with our hybrid moots so far, um, and I think it's been a really good experience both for the digital and the physical attendees. Uh, so, so far, that's been working really well, and I am very, um, uh, very happy about that. So, Anyway, um, that's the first announcement. Second announcement um, is I just wanted to draw your draw your attention to many of you uh, may have seen our uh, web the, our webathon uh, this past weekend and listened to my State of the University address when I explained our space program. Uh, space being an acronym for Signum Portals to Adult Continuing Education, and um, it's pretty cool. I'm really excited about it. We've got a lot of really neat uh, space modules planned. Um, there is uh, something for uh, everybody, especially in the uh, the language and lit area, which of course, as you know, is Signum's uh, uh, central strength and focus. Um, we have introductory language modules. Um, if you want to start learning Old English, if you've always wanted to learn Old English, you know, uh, be able to speak like uh, one of the Rohirrim, um, we have the opportunity for you to start learning that. If you've already studied some Old English or Middle English or Latin, and would, you can start learning Latin as well, um, or you can do some Latin readings, Anglo-Saxon readings. Um, if you want to, if you've studied, you know, Old English uh, before and you want to keep your hand in, 
uh, sign up for one of our modules to uh, to read through the Old English Boethius or the Old English uh, Judith and Exodus together. Uh, really, really fun. Um, so there's there's language stuff. Uh, you can learn Egyptian hieroglyphics. You can uh, so many things. Um, uh, there's also um, uh, fantasy lit stuff. We've got a class on, uh, we've got a couple Tolkien classes, including, of course, a very timely module on the Father Christmas letters for December. Um, all these modules are going to run in, uh, are, 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 we're offering them for December. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got several Tolkien ones. We've got some C.S. Lewis. We've got some uh, uh, Japanese anime. We've got a we, we've we've got an anime module, um, bunches of things. Plus, like other non-fantasy literature and some other humanities. Uh, um, a, a survey of the history of the symphony, for instance. If you want to do some musical history, we've got. Um, uh, creative writing, all kinds of things, uh, several different flavors of creative writing workshop. Uh, so there's many, many things uh, that folks can sign up for. And all of these modules are, are, are just one month long. Um, and so you can uh, you can, you know, take them sequentially over a period of, uh, of months or you can just kind of bounce around. It's all pretty cool. Uh, and this is just the beginning. This is just kind of uh, a soft launch uh, here. There's a whole bunch more stuff that we have in mind. Uh, uh, not only just more individual modules, but more like whole categories of things uh, that we're looking to open up uh, there. So uh, anyway, it's going to be super fun. So I encourage you to look into that. Go to uh, signumuniversity.org slash space, and you can find uh, all the information on that. You can also go to our YouTube. If you didn't uh, hear my State of the University address where I walked through the space program uh, pretty thoroughly to explain the whole process and how it works and everything, uh, you can go to Signum University's YouTube channel uh, and see about our continuing education program there. See about uh, You can find the State of the University address uh, and hear more about that. Um, anyway, so it is, uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. We have a whole bunch of people who have signed up already. Looking forward to a great first month. Uh, December is going to be our first month of, uh, of, of space modules. So anyway, uh, just wanted to draw your attention to that because that is our very exciting new program. All right. Let us jump back into the text here uh, because we got like what halfway, um, uh, halfway through um, uh, the slide we were doing <laughs> last time. Um, yeah, Lisa Linda, that's a really great question that I don't know the answer to. If they have a system of Braille for Old English or Middle English, Middle English in particular has at least. The way that Middle English is presented in almost every modern edition has almost no, um, uh, like, non-modern letters. So I would think that could easily be represented in Braille. What they do for Braille for, like, you know, Ash and Thorn and, you know, other uh, uh, not modern characters uh, in Old English, I'm not really sure. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I'm just gonna start. I'm just gonna start at the beginning, <laughs> and we'll work our way down. We're not gonna redo everything that we talked about last time, um, but um, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, there's a lot, and it's kind of scattered about. Okay, and I will choose you companions to go with you as far as they will or fortune allows. 
The number must be few, since your hope is in speed and secrecy. Had I a host of elves and armor of the Elder Days, it would avail little, save to arouse the power of Mordor. The company of the ring shall be nine, and the walkers, the nine walkers, shall be set against the nine riders that are evil. With you and your faithful servant, Gandalf will go, for this shall be his great task, and maybe the end of his labors. Um... So we talked about we talked a good deal, and I feel a good deal better about the idea of the nine walkers being set against the nine riders that are evil. Uh, you may remember that I was talking about um, I was talking about whether you know to what extent this his the composition of the company of the ring um, as as Elrond is composing it here is meant to be symbolic, and if it is symbolic, like what's the point of the symbolism? Why represent? Um, the other free peoples of the world here. Um, what's kind of the point of that? Um, and I'm not sure I still really quite understand that. Um, I mean, on the one, it's on the one hand, it seems fairly simple to understand. Like, yes, like everyone who is joining together against Sauron is contributing symbolically, like through their representatives, right? So elves, dwarves, men, hobbits um, are all here gathered together working against Sauron. And yes, okay, but so what? Like, for, as we said, symbolism is a is a means of communication, right? I mean, it's 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 a um. It's a way to, um, uh, <laughs> I'm not going all the way back to the long expected party. Uh, just, just at the beginning of the slide. That's all. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, for instance, when Aragorn is going to have representatives of all of the free peoples come forward with him in the parley with the mouth of Sauron, Right. That is a symbolic gesture with an audience, right? The mouth of Sauron is the audience that, you know, the, the, the onlooking attention of Sauron. It's an important symbolic gesture, but it's a gesture that is directed, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's a target audience for that gesture there. When you're putting together a secret task force, right, um, who is like number one, the number one rule of the company of the ring is that nobody is supposed to know that they A, exist and who they are and where they're going. Um, what's the point of having a symbolic, um, uh, a, you know, a, a symbolic composition? So that's why the mere symbolism of it doesn't seem like quite enough to me to justify um this kind of representative uh, uh, conclusion, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, Goob Jones, it reminds me a little bit, too, of uh, uh, baseball making all teams have a representative at the All-Star game. Kind of, but again, that has an audience, right? Very, very distinctly. Um, uh, as opposed to this, which is which is all kind of below the surface. Uh, Almaria, that's just what I'm trying to figure out, um, that there is power in symbols. I agree. What kind though? That's just, like, is it, is it for their own sake? Um, or not? Now, Fourth Dauntless, that's the other thing that I was thinking of, um, that they're not just selecting random representatives, Fourth Dauntless says, but the, you know, these are all folks who are called by fate to the council. Right. And it seems 
based on what we see in the second half of the slide, which we haven't totally finished talking about, um, is that he seems to be being guided further by fate, right? Um, not only just choosing people from among those who were called, though he did not call them, to the Council of Elrond, but those who are like headed in. So they've chosen a path that the fellowship is going to tear, that the company, I should call them the company, right? That the company is going to take um, uh, to, uh, you know, on their way down. And they're choosing people who happen to be going that way, right? As we, uh, uh, as we, have already discussed. Um, so that seems to be yet a second layer of like providential guidance here. Um, but, but for Thomas, here's my issue, right? My issue is the use of the word shall. It's possible that he is merely stating simple future tense here, right? Um, for the rest, they shall represent the other free peoples of the world. Like that is perhaps when Elrond says that, the, the, a paraphrase would be, as it turns out, um, they're going to end up representing the other free peoples of the world, right? Like that's what Providence seems to have decreed because we've got like an elf, a dwarf, and a couple, and a couple men uh, headed in your direction. So there we are, right? Um, looks like we're doing the free peoples of the world thing, right? It could be that that's what Elrond means, right? Um but it sounds a little bit more top-down uh, from Elrond to me, right? Um, that um, uh, when he said, he, he starts off by saying, I will choose you companions to go with you. And even for the rest, they shall represent the other free peoples of the world. Sounds like he has decided that. Um, and that seems followed up by the phrasing of the later sentences, right? They shall represent the other free peoples of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. Like, I've made up my mind. This is, this is happening, right? Legolas shall be for the elves, and Gimli, son of Glowen, for the dwarves. Um, now, again, as we talked about, he's clearly spoken with them already. They're willing to go. He's not just dragooning them in, into, into going along here. Um, they have not just been voluntold. Um, but, um, but again, it, it's, the, you know, they shall represent the other free peoples of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. Sounds like um, um, a plan. You know, that sounds like his initial vision for what the company should be like. And the question was, was who? Right. The question was which. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stunned duck. I wonder. Um, all the free peoples bear witness to the bearing of the ring. Um, is it important? Not in a purely not in, in, in a, a, a symbolic sense in the way that I was describing before that kind of like. Uh, symbolic message, right? Um, but as um, the significance of it's like uh, having your cake and eat it too, right? <laughs> right? Like, how do you, on the one hand, have the active participation of all of the free, make this a community effort, right? The entire community of the free peoples is behind. Uh, this ring bearing, this quest of the ring, right? 
Um, and yet still keep it a secret, right? Because we can't like tell her. We can't exactly publish it around, right? Um, so you do representatives, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's... Um, that. I like that. I like that. That seems to me... Uh, and again, when we talk about like the power of that kind of symbolism, that's exactly what I meant when I said like, what is that power? How does that power work? What what seems to be the idea behind it there? Um, and uh, and I think uh, I think that that's that seems to be a good way to uh, to see it. Matt, yeah, I agree with you. Let's make sure we come back to that when we get to Gimli's conversation with Elrond, which is really interesting in the context of uh, um, of this. I've I've always kind of chuckled at Elrond and Gimli's conversation and I, their exchange, and I still find it kind of funny. Um, but um, uh, it's it now seems much more momentous, having looked more carefully at this passage. Um, yeah. Now, JJ, that's another good way to think about it. It's also symbolic um, to Frodo, right? Um, yes. Yes, I agree. If If there is a target audience... Frodo could be the target audience of the symbolism, right? Instead of the act of defiance that, you know, the collective showing up at the Black Gate is, um, you know, with uh, uh, with Aragorn there at the end. Um, here, it is the collective, so that Frodo will go forth in the knowledge that he has the support of all of the free, that all of the free people go with him in their representatives, right? So again, that everybody literally can't go, but um, in general, uh, like symbolically, everyone is. Um, I like that as well. As And we can think of it, therefore, as a way of kind of um, boosting Frodo's morale, which, as we've discussed, is an enormously important point, right? Ar- arguably um, the most important, more important than any kind of skill or strength, right? Um, I mean, again, you you uh, uh, think of, uh, you know, like in the movies, you know, in, in, in the movie when they're all like, you have my bow and my axe, right? Um, they don't need the bow and... Frodo doesn't need the bow and the axe. Um, uh, what he really needs. Um, it, it's, it's not like the best axeman ever and the best bowman that he needs. Like that's not what qualifies them to be in the company. Or that's not what's the most important thing about their being in the company. Um, the most important thing about this company, as we've, as Elrond said from the beginning, right? It's not going to be about strength or wisdom. Um, so you don't need to put together, the point is not to put together the all-star team, right? Um, you know, this is not, um, this is not, that's not how this is supposed to work. That's not why the people are being chosen. But the most important thing they can do is help Frodo, encourage, that's all that matters at the end of the day, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Matt says, I think another thing we should consider is how long the free people are expected to bear witness and what they will bear witness to. Um Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, you're right. There are going to be a number of things. Um, <laughs> the, um, the Legolas Gimli Aragorn unit, Matt, as you're suggesting, especially when they're accompanied by Mary and or Pippin, right, um, is um, uh, they're like a, a roving 
witness, right? For like, here comes here comes the the free peoples of the world, right? Uh, uh, coming and so now because Legolas and Gimli and the hobbits are there, the free peoples of the world take part in everything that happens, right? And bear witness to everything, including, as you suggest, um, you know, the parley at the bike gate, as well as like Gandalf's return and stuff. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, they are looking for the best team, not necessarily the best players. It's true. Though, again, it's it's not even about the strength of the team as a whole, right? It's um, it's about what exactly? Well, first and foremost, it's about providence, right? I mean, the Elrond's M.O. seems to be primarily... Um, attempt to pick up on what is supposed to happen and go along with it, right? Um, that's um, That seems to be his primary plan. Um, and so that's, I think, the number one consideration. Um, now, I, I saw someone, and I'm uh, sorry, I've already forgotten uh, who it uh, who, who it is or who, who it was, was pointing out that um, Legolas and Gimli are not exactly going their way. And that's true. I, they're not like... Gimli's not like, oh yeah, I was headed down to the Redhorn Gate anyway because I always go home to Erebor by like marching a hundred miles south first. Like that's uh, not uh, his normal. It's it's a bit out of his way. Him and Legolas both, right? Um, so yes, yes. That, but this is why um, Elrond emphasizes they're willing to go at least to the passes of the mountains and maybe beyond, right? So it's clear that it may well be you know, like obviously. If they are going to head home, if they're going to continue on their journey, namely to Erebor and to Mirkwood, um, they're going to have to split off from the rest of the company after they've crossed the Redhorn Gate. You know, assuming everything goes according to plan, which probably will. Um, but um, but that's, of course, uh, going to be up to them. It's uncertain what is going to be happening, whether they will choose to continue after that point. But the fact that they are... Um, he raises at least the possibility, right, of them choosing to actually continue on their real journeys, their real uh, own particular journeys, um, suggests that, yes, they have agreed to go the long road, right, in order to bear the, uh, to, to, to be with, uh, to be members of the company for a time, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yep. Okay, let's see. Uh, how did Gimli get to Rivendell with Glowen, I assume, um, as part of the, uh, you know, the dwarvish party from Erebor who came as messengers from Dan? I assume that's, uh, um, I assume that's where they would be. Um, yep. Yep. Um, I doubt it was a coincidence. Trasnick. Yeah, he just ran into his dad in Rivendell, right? Yeah. Oh, that's embarrassing. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah, Logan, great question. Do I think anyone sent a message back to Thranduil to tell him not to expect his son back for a while? I like to think so. I like to think that um, uh, that that 
Elrond arranged to say, you know, yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, your, uh, your son has, uh, is taken the long way home. Um, I think probably, uh, he had somebody who could go on that message. Um, but Green Great Dragon, you're right. In elf time, are they even going to notice that he's gone? Right. Um, I mean, it's only been, I mean, the whole thing takes less than one lore, you know, one year of the sun. Uh, who even notices a small jaunt like that, right? I mean, he probably is not out even past his curfew at that point. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Zach says, sun going to Mordor. Stop. Don't expect him soon. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Exactly. They'll use the, they'll use the elf telegram service. Um, Yep. Yeah. As long as he's back, I agree. In the next ten years, uh, they'll be they'll be they'll be fine. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think elf like elf teenagers have uh, uh, you know uh, curfews in in years or like months or or how do you think it works? I'm not sure. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. So, Corey, I do not. I think there's pretty strong evidence the Elven leaders do not speak over distances. That's a movie thing. um, And I think it's pretty clearly counterindicated. The very fact that Eladon and Elrohir among the scouts were sent on a great journey and went personally, you know, went physically to uh, Lothlorien um, makes it fairly clear to me that Elrond cannot just telepathically communicate with Galadriel from where he is, not to mention the fact that he says that some of his messengers might not get there before they do, which presumably would not be true if he were communicating telepathically. So telepathic communication is possible um, among them. Um, We know that Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel can communicate telepathically with each other. Um, we certainly will see uh, Galadriel communicating telepathically with people, um, but that is um, certainly um, not able to happen over distances like that. Um, that is, I, I just from the evidence of what we've seen just in these last passages, um, it's uh, it's uh, very clear that that's not possible or else they wouldn't be doing all the running around that they're actually doing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's line of sight. Yeah, I don't know. Not not really sure. Not really sure. Um, yeah, cool. Hey, awesome. Hero of Slime, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Um, okay, good. All right, what was the next thing I was going to say? Okay, we'd gotten to Aragorn, so that was good. Um, okay, let's go back to Aragorn. For men, you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Let's just think about that for a second. For the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. He has put already Gandalf in a special category, right? Frodo has promised to be the ring bearer. Sam has promised to go with him. So Elrond has already set 
you and your faithful servant, right, as sort of one subunit of the company, right? They're the ones who are going in the actual quest, right? And there's also going to be people who are going to be around them, right? And this is, uh, uh, you may remember my, um, I was commenting on this in my uh, session title for last week, um, which I called The Fellowship Near the Ring, right? Because the actual relationship between the fellowship and the ring is not that clear, right? Frodo and Sam, they have, uh, you know, Frodo has promised, uh, you know, he did his I do, right, with uh, being the ring bearer. Uh, and Sam has uh, already promised that he's going to go with him. Gandalf is put into a special category. Um, with you and your faithful servant, Gandalf will go. For this shall be his great task and maybe the end of his labors. So that seems to be, this shall be his great task, seems to me the most emphatic statement that Elrond makes about the whole fate thing, right? Like, uh, who is fated to be here? Like, you know, who's... Um, uh, you know, Providence is uh, pointing in the direction of, you know, who is uh, who is who is going. Gandalf, clearly. Right. This is this task is set for him. This is his great task. This is his. Jo- this is like completely right in the heart of Gandalf's job description. Right. And as I suggested, this sort of uh, to me implies a kind of promotion. Right. He is the interim uh, uh, white wizard at this point. And it could be the end of his labors. I mean, this is uh, this is this is a big deal for Gandalf. Gimli and Legolas are headed your way, at least as far as the passes of the mountains. Notice there is no connection between them and the ring, right? Um, that is, they have no. Um, they are not. Uh, they're not part of the quest to Mordor. Right. They're not even expected to go more than halfway or, you know, is it even halfway? I'm trying to picture them. Wait, hang on. I left the map here. Let's answer this important question. Mm, yeah. Well, no, less than halfway uh, to the if they turn away in Dimril Dale and head off in a different direction. It's like a third of the way, maybe. Right. So, OK, yeah, they go. Um, they go a third of the way. Um. So they have no relationship with the ring, right? Um, We talked about Sam's potential relationship with the ring. That is, he seems to be from the beginning like the auxiliary backup ring bearer, right? Um, uh, If there is one person in the room who might possibly even be better qualified than Frodo to do this job, it would be Sam. Right. So Sam's the auxiliary backup uh, 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 ring bearer. Gandalf, this is his great task and maybe the end of his labors. Legos and Gimli escorts for a third of the trip, maybe, but it's important for symbolic reasons that they attend. Um, But then there's Aragorn. And Aragorn also is put into this special category for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. He also, um, at the beginning... Elrond does not say, um, uh, you know, when Elrond introduced, you know, he says Lego should be for the elves and Ghibli for the dwarves. 
his only word of explanation about their inclusion is they are willing to go at least to the passes of the mountains. In other words, they're headed in your general direction, willing to go a little bit out of their way in order to keep you company. And it's important for the symbolism. So they're in. Right. But Aragorn. Um, now, I know he is going to be. Um, he's going to explain by the end of this slide that he is also going their way. Right. He is also heading in the same direction as it happens. Um, but that is not my, the important thing is that that's not how Elrond introduces it. He doesn't say there are also fortunately two men who are also headed south in exactly the same direction. So they'll tag along also. One of them happens to be Aragorn, whom you've already met. Right. That's that's not how he introduces this. He says for men, you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Right. This is he. And he is the first one who is explicitly, explicitly connected to the ring. So if there's a company of the ring, Aragorn is like number three. Now, again, Gandalf, this will be his great task and maybe the end of his labors. It's a really big deal. Right. But his connection is with Sauron. Right. As he is going to say later on, I was the enemy of Sauron. Right. That's his job. Um so, yeah, this uh, concerns him closely as well, but that's, again, not what Elrond says. He doesn't say even of Gandalf that the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Sauron concerns him closely. The effort to thwart and defeat Sauron is his job. And so, therefore, this is, uh, you know, exactly up his street. Um now, Lupita, what a great question. Hang on, let's uh uh let's um let's talk about this. If it was Gandalf's job description, why before did he say he might go? Great question, Lupita. Um my answer is when he said that before, he hadn't talked to Elrond about it. Remember, he said he was going to go talk to Elrond right afterwards, like he needed to go talk to Elrond. Um, so I uh, um, honestly, I take that as his deference to Elrond, basically. Um, I mean, it might seem like a no brainer that he should be going along accompanying Frodo. Right. Um, and so that's why he tells him that he might come with him. Right. And I don't think he would have said it if he thought he was just taking a flyer on it. Right. I mean, I think when he says I might come and then says you mustn't count on anything yet, he wouldn't have said it at all if he weren't pretty sure, you know, that it was likely that he was going to end up going. Um, but I think he was deferring to Elrond, preparing to defer to Elrond in case Elrond had some other idea or um, suggestion. Um I think that it's one of the things that Elrond, like, I don't think it's just an authority thing. I don't think that, you know, um, Gandalf is merely saying, yeah, but dude, I'm not the boss, right? Like, we got to talk to the big guy and see what he says. You know, I don't think that he is only saying that. Um, I think that he is basically, this is the thing. I'm pretty convinced that this is pretty much Elrond's bag. Right. Um, one of the reasons that he said in the previous slide, um, uh, 
that he can see very little of their road and does that whole foreseeing thing or, you know, talks about his foreseeing and indeed the limitations of his foreseeing in this case is because this is like, that's his normal thing. That's what he, that's like, that's what, that's why people come to him for counsel, right? Who are you going to ask for counsel? Like maybe the person who, uh, if you could find somebody who is really in touch you know, with the music of the Ainur and had a pretty good sense what direction history was moving in and knew, um, you know, could tell you uh, how, like, where things are going and what should probably happen next. That would be a useful person to get advice from, don't you think? Right. Um, so I think that um, that this is his. So there's there's a reason that Gandalf is submitting to him. Because that's this is what he does, Elrond. This is what Elrond does. And Gandalf knows this is what Elrond does. Um, but I think, Drowsnake, that's a really good point there, too. Um, that Gandalf being too eager to accompany the One Ring would be suspicious. It is possible that Gandalf does not trust himself. We know he's concerned, right? Um, he does not want to be tempted uh, to take the ring. And if he just unilaterally says, <clears throat> well, I'm totally coming, right? I'm absolutely um, making the escorting of the ring my business. Um, that's a bad look. So for him to submit to Elrond, not just because he thinks, he, I believe, legitimately thinks that Elrond is likely to know best, because again, this is Elrond's bag, um, but also because the you don't want somebody who wants to be there shouldn't be there. Right. Somebody who's like, yeah, no, I want to go along with the ring. Right. But yeah, but, but keep me as close to the ring as possible. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't want that person along and Gandalf knows that. Right. Um, so yeah. And I wonder Ambrosius says, do we think Elrond had to persuade Gandalf to go? No, I don't think so. Uh, no, I don't think so. Now, Gorfaroth, Sam wants to go. No, Sam, exactly, Ambrosius Aureliana. Sam wants to be with Frodo. Um, he doesn't want to go along with a ring. Um, and I think that Elrond could read clearly enough that he is not giving the first thought to the ring. Um, he, and he is, all of his thought is only for his master. And that makes Sam the safest possible companion uh, for Frodo. Um the safest and best possible um, uh, uh, companion. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it is... This was a principle that um, Gandalf believed in. Um, this, this, is, this is a... a, 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 a this is a principle that Tolkien believed in, in general. Um, that... You should always be uh, you should always be cautious of people who want to be leaders, right? Um, Noli episcopari is uh, the only real method here. Um, Noli episcopari, which means I do not want to be bishop. Um, whom do you elect as bishop? The person who says I don't want to be the bishop, and so saying Noli episcopari is part of the uh, formula uh, for um, uh, bringing in a new bishop consecrating. I always forget the right verb. Consecrating a new bishop, I think, is the right word. Um, but um, 
Yeah, I, the same reason why uh, I have uh, an implicit distrust of 100% of presidential candidates. Like the biggest problem that they have in my book is that they all want to be president, right? Um, so like if you're running, you're suspect. Like that's, you you know, you got to be careful about anybody who wants to be president, right? That's a bad, that's a bad sign. It's a red flag uh, across the board. It's a red flag. Um, and so, yeah, so if Gandalf is... Too gung ho. Now, is he unwilling? Does he need being talked into it? No, I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I think that's why he said what he did for because his instinct too, right? His own intuition says, "This is my great task, and maybe the end of my labors." Right. So, um, I think he knows that it's his job to go along. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it's Bujum. Yeah, Douglas Anderson was absolutely spot on about that. Anyone who's capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, yes, and I agree with you guys about the uh, when it becomes a formula, then it becomes utterly unreliable. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And Tolkien knew that, too. Um, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so those, I think, are like the things contributing to why Gandalf was basically checking with Elrond, not just because Elrond is the boss of him. Right. But there are for those reasons, very good reasons why he would submit to Elrond's judgment, put himself in Elrond's power in that way and let Elrond make the decision instead of himself, um, because as he has said, I don't trust myself in this. Um, and I assume that goes that goes for this as well. As for any foreshadowing of his fate at this point, Silk Westcott, um, no. And do, do I think he has a premonition that he's going to die on this quest? No. I think he's willing to die. Um, I mean, this is, this is his great task. Like, this is what he's for, right? And so if he's not willing to face death for the sake of this, then he has left the path, right? Um, and he knows that. I mean, that's one symptom or not symptom that's one manifestation right of him already heading in a sorrow manic kind of direction um when your own purposes you know your own desires your own interests um become more important and then you begin to uh shift your ends and means around and uh have a uh, uh difficult time um yeah, yeah. Um, I agree, Fourth Dauntless. Book Gandalf does not appear to be foresighted about this. Um, uh, Aragorn is, right? Aragorn does seem to have more foresight than Gandalf does. Um, yes, I agree. I agree. Um Tomas, I don't know. That's a great question. Would Gandalf see the end of his labors as a relief to be back to his happy life in Amon, or is it more of a sad note? Elrond mentions it like it's a happy thing, right? I mean, this shall be his great task and maybe the end of his labors sounds like, and then he can retire, right? Um, so I think that's um, that's a good thing, right? Um, uh he seems to be throwing that out as a good thing. I can't imagine that that's a threat, right? 
um, at least it would be a very strange way um, if what he were if what he's attempting to deliver at that point is foreboding, right? Then um, that would be a strange way to package it. Um, the end of his life would be the highly euphemistic way to frame it. Um, but um, yeah, it's a fulfillment of his purpose. I agree. I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could agree that it's both attractive and sad. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Um, you're, um, I'm not going to get too far into, uh, I'm, let's, I'm not going to get too far ahead of ourselves here and, uh, think too much more about either about Aragorn's foresight or about Gandalf's, um, you know, reaction when he sees the Balrog and stuff, uh, or his response to, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're, we're almost there, right? We're in like the same chapter. That's just later in this same chapter, that conversation between Aragorn and Gandalf, right? So it's all, or maybe it's next chapter, but still we're very close to it. So we'll get there. We'll get there real soon. Um, but anyway, back to Aragorn. <laughs> Got drawn back into Gandalf here. With For Aragorn, Elrond sets him up very differently. For men you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Um, first off, let's emphasize the title, Right? You shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Now, if there's anybody in the room who could be introduced in one of a half dozen ways, it's Aragorn, right? I think he's got the most names and titles of anybody in the room. At least, okay, Gandalf has a lot too, but we don't know that yet. Um, as far as people who have been referred to in many different ways. Um, and if you think about the significance of, like, who he is, right? Um, he wears a lot of different hats. Um, and... So which hat, right, is uh, um, is Aragorn wearing here, you know, when he when he introduces him? Aragorn's son of Arathorn. And in some ways, <laughs> the hat with wings. <laughs> yeah, he is eventually going to get a hat with wings. But but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Arathorn, son of Ar Aragorn, son of Arathorn, doesn't exactly say winged hat to me. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not like it's not relevant to him. But his, if he really wanted to go full winged hat here, right, um, and invite everybody to imagine him wearing the the you know the the crown helm of Gondor here, he would say something like, "You shall have Aragorn." Heir of Elendil, right? Or Aragorn, the heir of Isildur. Um, now, that would be merely repetitive because he then is going to say, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely, right? Um, but the son of Aragorn is... Or the son of Arathorn emphasizes what, his direct lineage, right? Um, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is the chieftain of the Dúnedain, right? Yeah, it does mean something if you're a Dúnedain, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, now, you are getting Aragorn, son of Arathorn, rather than Strider the Vagabond, despite what Frodo is just about to say, right? Um, 
but he is being introduced as a ranger. I think I say, I don't think this is a kingly title. It's a, it's an important title. It's a leadership. It's that's his title. Aragorn, son of Arathorn is emphasizing his role as chieftain of the Dunedain, right? One of the Rangers. It does emphasize his lineage, but again, who's Arathorn? That wouldn't have helped very much down in Gondor, right? And if, 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 if down in Gondor, you're trying to figure out who Aragorn is and you're like, oh, he's Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Everyone's going to be like, oh, well, that helps, right? Uh, obscure ranger, son of more obscure ranger, like, uh, doesn't do me much good, right? Um, again, it will in the north. It will among the Dunedain. Um, but it won't in the south. It will mean nothing in Gondor. Um, it points directly, I mean, if you draw a line from Aragorn to Arathorn and on back, yeah. But again, that's not what it seems to me that he emphasizes here. Um, But he does add, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Right? I don't see in that sentence the kind of explicit invocation of Aragorn's kingship or his future kingship or his uh, rightful kingship as I would expect because I don't see it in either half. I mean, he mentions Isildur, which is relevant, right? But again, he could call him the heir of Isildur, but he doesn't call him that. He calls him the son of Arathorn, and then only says that Isildur's ring concerns him closely, right? He's um, connected to the ring, which, of course, as I was suggesting before, is important because... He's the only one, the first one here, who's explicitly connected to the ring at all, directly, other than Frodo. Right? Again, Sam indirectly as the backup, the auxiliary backup ring bearer. Um, But he's there not because he's connected to the ring. He's there because he's connected to Frodo. Gandalf is there because he's connected to Sauron. Um, Legolas and Gimli are there because they're going in the same general direction. Aragorn is there because the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. He is involved in the ultimate fate of the ring. Um, yeah, for Thomas, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, he's involved in the company, not in his capacity as heir apparent, but as the long descendant of the guy who failed to destroy it the last time around. Remember, that's what he himself says. Um, he says, um, since it seemed fit that Isildur's heir should labor to, uh, uh, what's the verb that he uses? It's not amend Isildur's fault. What's the, what's the verb? Repair? Repair. Thank you. Um, should labor to repair Isildur's fault. He sees that responsibility, right? Isildur screwed up. Isildur should have destroyed it, and he didn't. Isildur succumbed to the ring, um, as we can read in his own handwriting. Well, reading between the lines of his own handwriting, anyway. Um, exactly, Green Great Dragon. He's the heir reparent. That's exactly right, the heir reparent. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, uh <laughs> <laughs> that works just beautifully. Yes. Um, he's 
the ranger, the chieftain of the Dunedain, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. He has unfinished business involving the ring, and he himself perceives his role. Um, and remember, when he said that, that line I was just quoting about repairing Isildur's fault um, was from during the council when he was explaining going on the trip with Gandalf, right? Um, all of that labor that he went through to try to hunt down Gollum to help Gandalf get some kind of lead on the ring, right? And the history of the ring and some confirmation of the ring. Um, that he felt it was his duty to undertake because it seemed fit to him that Isildur's heir should labor to repair Isildur's fault. Um, uh, here, um, uh, <laughs> I did, Mad Violinist, miss your characterization of Sam as the utility ring fielder. Yeah, no, that's that. You're right. That went completely over my head the first time. But I like this. He a super utility ring fielder. He might be. Um, I think he is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the point is his, um, his statement about repairing Isildur's fault came long before he'd ever even met Frodo, long before he'd ever directly encountered the ring at all. Right. And yet we have seen him take on himself responsibility, not for the ring, not for protecting the ring, like his specific responsibility that he has taken on himself and took on himself long before um, any of this was known, before he'd met Frodo or any of this stuff, was to repair Isildur's fault, right? To labor to see the ring destroyed, as Isildur did not do. Um, So it's interesting, therefore, and I think pretty important, that Elrond brings this up. The Ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Um, it was That was Aragorn's own opinion, right? That was his own view before. And Elrond here seems to me to endorse this pretty strongly. Yes, the line of Isildur and the Ring have unfinished business. Elrond seems to agree with that. And therefore it is fit, it is important even, that Aragorn, son of Arathorn, ranger of the north, chieftain of the Dúnedain, shall go. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think that the lack of kingly, um, the lack of kingly uh, um, titles, emphasis from Elrond here, um, might actually be pretty important, right? Um, because to frame it that way, I mean, if he were to say, for men, you shall have Aragorn, heir of Elendil, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely, right? That would sound like it would set him up to repeat Isildur's issue, right? Um, if he goes along because he is so important, right? Because he is, uh, it is his birthright to, you know, because it should all be about taking up his birthright, right? Um that would be a bad look. That would be a bad look and would set him up in uh, a bad way um, for resisting the power of the ring. Um, well, that's interesting, Matt. Uh, 
Matt points out that there are only two people in the fellowship who will not have the son of somebody else formulation applied to them. Only Gandalf and Legolas are not going to be introduced or discussed at any point as son of, introduced as son of somebody else. Gimli is named son of Glowen right there. Um, you'd think Thranduil, the king of the elves of northern Mirkwood, might get a nod. No, we don't care. We don't care. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, Gandalf, of course, technically doesn't have a father, so uh, that would make sense. He's not really the son of anybody. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with that either, Matt, but that is interesting. Um, yeah, good. Good. And I agree, there is something that has to be done first before the concept of kingship is brought up, or concept of uh, son-in-law is going to be brought up, as several of you have uh, have, have mentioned. But I agree. Yes, Steve, exactly. Um, identifying him as the heir of Isildur equals he has a claim for the ring equals bad. Exactly. Remember, that was... Remember, they, they talked about that. Remember Frodo's first reaction when he found out that... that, uh, that Aragorn was the heir of Isildur, was like, then it belongs to you and not to me at all, right? He, he expected Aragorn to claim it, right? Hey, family heirloom, thank you very much for its return. Appreciate that. Now I've got two swank multi-millennial aged rings, uh, one to wear, one on each hand. Um, uh, no, right? And of course, we know that is not, in fact, what Aragorn is going to do. But even Frodo makes that association, right, at the beginning, Um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I do think it's important that he's not being introduced. He's not being placed in the company because of his kingly credentials. Um, he's being placed there because... He is, uh, the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. The glance at his own father is enough to establish, to, I mean, because you guys are right, pointing to his pedigree, like even to his dad, right, might not mean much to anybody down in Gondor, but it, you know, it, it is gesture back in the direction, right? I mean, you point back to Arathorn and there's that line of kings that goes all the way down. Like, remember the line of kings they saw in that vision from Tom Bombadil, right? There's that line of kings that eventually goes all the way back to Elendil. So yeah, I mean, that happens. Um, but, um, uh, but it's still, but it's, it's pretty gentle and it definitely is not, um, what he, um, uh, um, what he's pointing to. Okay, Nancy, I'm done dodging that now. Elrond's characterization of the ring as the ring of Isildur. Now, what do we think that means? I will start by saying I do not believe that in doing that, Elrond is saying... Let me make it clear. This ring belongs to Isildur, right? It was Isildur who uh, has that. Could somebody look that up? Could somebody do a quick search in the e-text and tell me, does the phrase Ring of Isildur occur anywhere else in the Lord of the Rings? 
Because I don't think so. Lady Lakata is wondering if Elrond is being sarcastic. Not exactly sarcastic. Yeah, it's called Isildur's Bane, but that's not the same. Right? Ring of Isildur is the phrase that I want. Does that occur anywhere else? Isildur's Bane, of course, is a really interesting callback to it, in a sense. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, Bard is saying Elrond is essentially calling it Isildur's screw-up, I think. Something like that. But again, I think that he is, um, um, I think that he's, it's not a coincidence, right? That he is, I mean, I, I mentioned how it would be like kind of repetitive, right? For him to first call Aragorn, you know, Aragorn, heir of Elendil for the, er, er, Aragorn, heir of Isildur for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely, Right. It would not only be repetitive, it would also be uh, making the point rather emphatically, wouldn't it? Um, uh, that is, I do think, Nancy, that the reason he calls it the Ring of Isildur is to remind, even perhaps to remind Aragorn himself about this connection, right? It is the ring of Isildur in the sense that Isildur claimed it, right? And it only concerns, the ring only concerns Aragorn closely because Isildur did claim it. It it was that claim that made the ring Aragorn's business. Not because as Isildur's heir, he has claimed to it as Frodo assumed, but because he needs to repair that fault, right? So he is himself Elrond, seems to me to be himself recalling, very gently, recalling the fault of Isildur in the same sentence that he is saying it concerns him closely. Now, that phrase is pretty vague, concerns him closely, but I will say, I will not say in what way, right? I'm not going to specify how the ring concerns Aragorn, but by calling it the ring of Isildur, he implies it pretty heavily. It concerns him in just the way that he thought it did before. Because as the Ring of Isildur, it's time for him to try to repair Isildur's fault. Now, of course, in the movies, um, they did... And I didn't hate this, of course. um, And it comes off very powerfully at the end of The Fellowship of the Ring. um, The ways in which uh, we have, like, the primary drama with movie Aragorn is that he is going to resist the temptation that Isildur fell prey to, right? And show that he is going to not walk in Isildur's footsteps. And that's nice. I mean, that story worked real well. That was very powerful. And of course, in a sense, that's certainly true, right? Um, uh, It's certainly true uh, that he does do that. I mean, you know, Book Aragorn also does not claim the ring for himself, right? Um, the only difference is he's succeeding at that all along the way, from the first moment when Frodo offers it to him at the council. And he's like, no, 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 no. Not mine. I'm good. Um, um, right, Green Great Dragon, that's Faramir's moment. Exactly. They took that moment away from Faramir and gave it to Aragorn instead. 
try not to throw things. Uh, those of you who are Faramir fans, I know that's the greatest uh, resentment that Faramir fans have about the films. But, um, but the point is that um, uh, that's not the dynamic between Aragorn and the Ring that is really emphasized in the text. And certainly here, the way that his relationship to Frodo and Frodo's quest and to the ring itself is being framed as they're setting out with the company here is the, it is my duty to repair Isildur's fault. It's not like explicitly part of, it's not like a prerequisite to becoming king and therefore marrying Elrond's daughter. It's, it's not a prerequisite to be king. It's more like he doesn't, Aragorn, doesn't just want to claim the kingship, right? His job is not just to find a way to park his backside on the throne of Gondor, right? Um, He wants to heal Gondor and to heal the throne of Gondor. Um, By first accomplishing what Isildur felt. Isildur brought about the beginning of the decline and fall of Gondor and and Arnor by his claiming the ring, right? Like, the rule of the line of Elendil got off to a really bad start because of Isildur's choice to keep the ring. Uh, That was... um, That was... um, uh, It doesn't mean that everything that happens afterwards is awful. It's just that, like, that was a bad way to start that whole thing, right? Aragorn doesn't just want to... um, He doesn't just want to pick the kingship back up where it left off, right? He's the second founder. Um, He is Isildur and Elendil come again, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, Dolor Stroke, you're right. Um, uh, picking up on something that uh, Ray Burns had been saying. Ray Burns was thinking about Baron being sent to, uh, rec- you know, cut a Silmaril out of the Iron Crown before he could have Luthien. Um, and Dolor Stroke is pointing out that, uh, you know, um, Baron's dowry act was to go get jewelry while Aragorn was being asked to destroy jewelry. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a a really interesting anti-parallel, which certainly certainly shows that um, Elrond is a good student of history, right? Um, I mean, he's not going to repeat the mistake of his um, great-grandfather? Great-grandfather. Pretty sure that's right. Um, Tormarthen agreed. It's all about the do-overs, right? It's all about the do-overs. Um... Uh, yeah, Mad Violinist, I was thinking that exact same line. Baron went to find a treasure, there and back again. Aragorn goes to lose one and never return. Um, except I think when it comes to there and back again and never returning, I think that Aragorn, not Baron, gets the better end of that side, right? Uh, even though the losing and the finding works. Um, yeah, <laughs> Green Great Dragon was thinking the same thing. Yeah, no, that's exactly the quote I had in my in my head uh, when we were talking about that. I love that. I love that parallel. It's like a... 
it's it's like Bilbo and Frodo, the anti-parallel between Bilbo and Frodo's quests, writ large in epic terms, right? With Baron and and Aragorn there, um, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Nancy points out that Elrond didn't have his wife there to provide advice for him to ignore. Do you think that was an advantage uh, for him? I, I don't know, um, but um, uh, yeah, and you're right. Elmaria, Aragorn gets to keep both of his hands, uh, too, and to live the rest of his life with a girl. Yeah, well, technically, I guess so did Baron. Um, It just wasn't very long. Anyway, uh, never mind. Yeah, so um, that I so in the in this way, in this whole like, I'm going to I'm going to the line of Valendil is going to go out and come back in again, right? We're going to, we're not just going to renew the kingship. We're going to reboot the kingship of Gondor, right? Um, and in order to do that, um, it is all about repairing Isildur's fault. Um, so in that sense, that this sentence is very indirectly about, um, uh, is very indirectly about, the uh, the kingship, but but only very indirectly, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So then Frodo says, "Strider." Yes, he said with a smile. I ask leave once again to be your companion, Frodo. I would have begged you to come. Uh, so I, I spoke very briefly at the end of last time that. Um, we have here a delightful uh, sort of recapitulation of the scene at Bree, right? Um, Frodo, by paraphrasing, right? Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and he paraphrases that as Strider. Um, his reaction is just, you know, the name that he originally knew for him, right? How he got to know Strider. So it's on the one hand a very personal response, but at the same time it also seems a pretty apt Parallel. Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Strider, yeah, the ranger guy. The disreputable-looking ranger guy. Yes, that's the one whom you shall have for men in the company of the ring, right? Um, So it seems fitting in that way, too. But I love the self-conscious recapitulation, right? Um, His perception of the irony of the parallel. Um, I ask leave once again to be your companion. Having forced himself upon Frodo the first time, right? And against Frodo's better judgment, uh, right? Compelling Frodo to agree to let this, uh, you know, uh, skeezy stranger dude come along with them uh, into the wild far from help. Um, Recognizing that he's in a similar position now. uh, And yet, you know, things have, uh, things have changed. Um, I love his smile here and his uh, his allusion to that. He might not get hobbitry very well. I, I, he's, I still think Aragorn's not good at it. Um, he does not have Aragorn's, or he does not have Gandalf's flair for abusive uh, badinage. Um, but um, but but this is pretty good, right? I mean, he certainly uh, he certainly is he's he doesn't get hobbitry, but he's not just stiff, right? Um, he's not just stiff. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I also am wondering what Butterbur would have said about Strider going along uh, uh, on this. Um, and I wonder if in his smile he's imagining that too, right? Um, uh, the reaction of Butterbur, right? When, uh, uh, when Butterbur hears that, you know, well, you know your own business, maybe, right? Is that what, uh, uh, is, is, is that the advice that Butterbur would set against uh, Elrond's advice here? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I just, I love that. I love that touch there and the way that it evokes that whole situation reminding how far we have come in the story from the, and that was not many, what was it? One, two, three, four, five chapters ago. I mean, it wasn't a whole long time ago. I know it was several years back for us, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, could Frodo have said no? Um, well, on the one hand, um, uh, Goob Jones, I think it's important to, um, Note that this is not exactly, and this is another important difference from the movie, right? Frodo is the center of all of the volunteering, right, that happens in the movies. Again, wonderful scene. It works very well. All that you have my bow and you have my axe thing, right? They're all pledging themselves to Frodo personally, um, including the wonderful montage moment, right? When Gandalf comes up and says his speech from shadow of the past. And then Strider comes up and uh, says his speech from uh, the Strider poem uh, and all that stuff. Um, Frodo is very much the center who is like, you know, kind of taking their service, like taking their promise. They're pledging themselves to him. That's explicitly not on the one hand, what's happening here, right? Elrond is informing him. And it doesn't sound Goob Jones like he's got a like he, like he does have a choice, right? For men, you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathor. Like that's what's happening, right? You're gonna have now. Of course, I'm pretty sure that Elrond knows Frodo's not gonna say no, right? But he doesn't. Um, he doesn't give him a chance to say no to Legolas and Gimli, who doesn't know it all either, right? Um, so again, Frodo's not being uh, not being given a choice. Um, they're not pledging themselves to him. Gimli and Legolas certainly haven't pledged themselves to him. Um, now, Strider already has, right? He's already told him that thing that gets moved to Rivendell in the movie, right? If by my life or death uh, I may save you, I, I shall, right? He's already said that. Um, so he's already pledged himself to help and protect Frodo. Uh, but that's not kind of what's happening here, Um by saying, I ask leave once again to be your companion, that's Aragorn's initiative, and it's a joke, right? It's an inside joke when he, uh, when he says that. Not because that's the actual situation that Elrond is setting up here. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Yeah, Matt, you're right. Frodo has been warned by Gandalf earlier that companions will be chosen, not that he will choose his companions. Yeah, exactly. This uh, sense of um, Elrond as a pointer of companions, which he himself, Elrond himself, seems to embrace there uh, from the start. That, yeah, I agree. That's, um, that is legit. Um, 
And of course, Frodo's response, I would have begged you to come, uh, is, you know, friendly and charming and delightful. Um, why hasn't he begged him to come? Only I thought you were going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. Okay, so he thought Aragorn was going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. So sometime in the gap of time between the council and now, Aragorn has had conversation with Frodo and Bilbo and the others and clearly, apparently, communicated to them that he was going to return to Minas Tirith with Boromir. Um, presumably, uh, be- I mean, as he is going to explain later on, Aragorn interprets the dream as a summons, right? Remember the command that was laid upon them, them being Faramir and very secondarily Boromir, uh, primarily Faramir and very secondarily Boromir, the charge that was laid upon them was seek for the sword that was broken. Um, That's the imperative mood, right? Everything else is explaining the context, right? Um, Seek for the sword that was broken. They have found the sword that was broken, right? Boromir found the sword that was broken and now she'll understand the remainder of his riddle. Um, Aragorn hears that as a call, believes he is supposed to come to Minas Tirith. Um, his path, again, in the question of like, what are you meant to do? Like, what does Providence have in mind here? What is supposed to happen? Aragorn's like, it's clear. What is supposed to happen? First and foremost, top of his list. Apparently I'm supposed to go to Gondor, right? I've been summoned to Minas Tirith uh, by a prophetic dream. So I'm going to run with that, right? I'm, I'm going to run with that. Um, and, um, yeah, and yeah, he does, right. Now he does say, I'm, 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 I, I shall go to Minas Tirith, right? At the end of his speech, right? Yeah, he does. He does. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so they don't have to have discussed it in, uh, in between. And I guess they wouldn't have had all that much time anyway, because he was away with the scouts, though I don't know that he was necessarily away with the scouts all the time. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So Frodo has understood it from the council. You're right. You're right. Um, I thought you were going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. I am, said Aragorn, and the sword that was broken shall be reforged ere I set out to war. So he's commenting on that. Like, you're not wrong, Frodo. Yes. My job is to go to Minas Tirith with Boromir and bring the sword that was broken because it's time. So He's got double certainty that the time has come to reforge the sword that was broken, right? First, it's been spoken among the heirs of Isildur in the north that uh, the sword that was broken would be reforged when Isildur's bane was found, right? But in case that tradition among them was not enough, they get the prophetic vision, right? Um... It was the sword that was broken. Um, why should we seek a broken sword? Remember, was the question um, that Boromir was asking. Um, and this is the answer. Because it shall no longer be a broken sword. Um, 
And so therefore, seek for the sword that was broken is not only a summons to Aragorn himself, that he should come to Minas Tirith, but it is also a clear prompt that the time has come and the sword of bro- the sword that was broken hyphenated as like if it's because it's a single concept right um the sword that was broken shall be reforged ere i set out to war um yep that's happening sword that was broken is being reforged the sword of elendo is going forth to war all that stuff that we talked about in the council about the way in which he is going to be recapitulating Elendil and his march to the uh, war, the, not the War of Wrath, uh, to the War of the Last Alliance, right? His willingness uh, to fight Sauron and to um, sacrifice his life, if need be, in the fight against Sauron, the overthrowing of Sauron. Um, all those things, that, as we discussed, are tied up with the concept of the sword that was broken. This is all coming about. This is all being triggered here, right? So... He has two connections, right? He has two jobs. Aragorn has two jobs. On the one hand, he is the heir of Elendil. He is reforging the sword that was broken. He is taking, he is setting out to war, like Elendil set out to war. So one job, repeat the last alliance, kind of, in some sense, right? Be Elendil Mark II. Reestablishing the king, you know, uh, fighting, reestablishing the kingship, and bringing the battle to Sauron, right? But at the same time, his other job is repair Isildur's fault. He is also the heir of Isildur, and is therefore closely concerned with the fate of the ring, in order to be the heir reparent of Isildur. Um, still love that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, He's got those two jobs. And so Frodo is the first one to notice, right? Um, Aren't these two things in conflict? How can you do both? How can you both ask leave to be my companion, like come with me to Mordor, and also go to Minas Tirith with Boromir, also fulfill the call of the dream? Right? And notice Aragorn's response to this. He doesn't respond to this. Um, I am going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. Yep. And the sword that was broken shall be reforged or I set out to war. But your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles. I'm going your way too. And again, unlike Legolas and Gimli, who might only go a third of the way down to the pass right here, um, he's going to go like 90% of the way-ish, right? So, yeah, no problem, right? For many hundreds of miles, your road and our road lie together. Um, that doesn't solve the problem at all, right? That, that, is, that doesn't reconcile his two jobs, to be the heir of Elendil and to be the heir of Isildur. Um, We can already see, if we're paying close attention, that Aragorn's going to come to a sticky decision point here. He can't do both. 
He can't. Um, unless, uh, as you're suggesting, uh, Chele on YouTube, um, he is, the fellowship is like a very, very miniature version of the last Alliance. Right. I mean, it is representing the other free peoples of the world, like the battle of the, like the, the army of the last Alliance did. So it's a very microcosmic, uh, version, right. Of the last Alliance in a sense. Um, but, um, uh, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess in that way he could kind of do both, but no, not and go to Minas Tirith, right? Um, not and present himself at Minas Tirith for, you know, whatever would be, you know, going on. Um, yeah, so I agree. He's going to be kicking the can for a long time, praise. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, he's going to kick the can for quite some time uh, on his way down towards Gondor. Um, and we will see him divided in his mind about what he's supposed to until the beginning of the two towers, right? That's when his path will become clearer to him. Um, but he is a valiant man, right? Now I agree with you, mad violinist. We'll talk about this when we get there. Um, things change for him after Moria, after he becomes the leader of the company. Um, but remember, the Ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Um, the requirement or the need, um, or the desire even, to repair Isildur's fault is going to be there, right? Um, you know, that's still, it's still going to be an issue. But, uh, oh yeah, so, um, uh, plus Bor Boromir is apparently going to be his plus one, right? Therefore, Boromir will also be in the company. He is a valiant man. Okay, couple things here. We don't get Elrond introducing Boromir. I don't want to read too much into that. Because it just comes up in conversation. And presumably Aragorn has run this past Elrond. This is not... Elrond is not surprised by this declaration, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is, we don't get to hear Elrond do it. And I would have been interested. I would have been interested. How does he introduce him? How does he talk about it? Right? Um, you know, we were looking at how he introduces Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn. Um, I would have been really interested. To, I kind of wish that Aragorn hadn't... Uh, um, I, you know, jumped in there, right? Um, uh, Blood the Inspirer, I don't see any evidence that Boromir is in the room. I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, do we know that he's not? I'm not sure. I, do Gimli and Legolas don't seem to be in the room. We didn't even know that Aragorn was in the room until Frodo says, Strider! And Strider answers, right? Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, so as far as we know, Valori Aragorn is the only one lurking. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... But your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles. 
So the ring of Isildur concerns him closely, but he's still just going in the same direction they are, right? He does say, when it comes to it, Minas Tirith for me. That's my destination. And Boromir's destination for sure, right? I mean, he's headed to Minas Tirith. That's his whole thing, right? He's got to get back. Um, Notice something, though. Boromir has waited for months. He's been hanging out in Rivendell for months. Um, If he had a journey of 110 days, maybe he could shave a few days off on it going home because at least he knows where Minas Tirith is, right? Um, So it's still going to take him a long time, but let's say, you know, he's able to shave some of the time. He could be like two-thirds of the way home by now, right? Um, If he had... uh, just taken off, like, uh, you know, maybe had a really good nap after the Council of Elrond, eaten lunch finally, had a nap, taken off, uh, you know, to return to his people and to, you know, like the armies he's meant to be leading and stuff, right? Um, he, he, he's had time to hit the road and get home a heck of a lot sooner. The fact that he has not done so suggests to me that he has volunteered for this, right? That he has volunteered. Um, you're right, he doesn't have a horse this time. Uh, but I, uh, So it might be longer than 110 days, you're thinking? Um, anyway, yeah, I think that um, he is... We get very little about Boromir here, Right? Um, JJ says, I think Boromir wants to be a part of the action, not a mere messenger. Um, possibly, possibly. Maybe he took part in the scouting activities. It's possible. But again, that doesn't, that doesn't answer the question. That's just another way of stating it. Like, why? Right? This is not his deal. This is not his... He's done his job. He's gotten his information. Now, maybe he's waiting to go with Aragorn. Right. Aragorn's waiting for the ring. He's waiting for Aragorn. Maybe he feels like he's got to return with the sword that was broken. Okay, perhaps so. Um, Well, Lady Wakata says, why did Boromir claim this errand in the first place if he didn't want to be a messenger? He doesn't want to be merely a messenger. Right now. A couple of you are suggesting that perhaps he's not wanting to he's wanting to that he is one person in the party who is definitely, um, the ring concerns him closely too, right? He wants to be close to the ring in ways that nobody else has seemed to, has seemed to be. Um, uh, we got to be cautious here because we have no direct evidence of that. Apart from his reaction, which is legit, right? We saw him responding to the ring um, when he first sees it in the council. Um, so I'm not saying there's no evidence to support the idea that Boromir already has notions, right, about the ring on some level. Um, but I think to imagine him actively scheming to remain close to the ring and to position himself near the ring at all times 
is I think probably going too far yet. Um, but, um, I agree, Mad Violinist. It does not have to be, it doesn't have to be conscious. I agree. I agree. Um, now, Aranas, you're right. We saw Frodo's report of Boromir's reaction, which could have been back formation. Um, yes, yes. Um, though, uh, as Mad Violinist says, Sam would, uh, is going to mention later that he believes that, you know, according to his observations, um, Boromir has uh, kind of had this on, on some level of his mind for quite some time. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, I, I so we don't know his motivations. All we know that he is he's definitely made a choice. He could have returned to Minas Tirith sooner um, and he doesn't have a horse now, but he's going to end up going on foot anyway. So one way or the other, um, he still would have gotten there sooner, almost certainly, uh, had he set out right away uh, and gotten a two-month head start. I can agree, Emily, that he might not want to bring just news of the sword that was broken. He wants to bring the sword and its wielder as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, that would be a reason enough. Is it an excuse enough or is it reason enough? You know, we don't know. But I just think the one thing that we can conclude is that Boromir has made a decision uh, to wait on this. And Elrond has okayed it. We don't hear Elrond say it, which is one of the things. I just I find that interesting that Boromir is the only one who doesn't get explicitly described by Elrond himself, right? Um, I'm not saying Elrond is unwilling. I just think it's interesting, right? Um, but presumably Elrond has agreed, right? Has agreed that um, Boromir should go, and there is a, there's a a pretty strong providential argument behind it, right? He is going much, much more the direction of Frodo, right? He is, um, um, his road and Frodo's road do indeed lie together for many hundreds of miles. Um, unlike, you know, so if, um, if Legolas and Gimli are, you know, providentially suggested by their imminent departure time, um, and headed in a vaguely easterly direction, uh, Boromir's is much, much more strongly recommended. Not to mention the fact that there's that whole prophecy thing, which Aragorn has just reminded us of, right? So Boromir was sent up here in the keeping of this word of prophecy. And so Providence has stepped in and gotten the Gondorian princes involved, right? Perhaps more pointedly, the other Gondorian prince, but still, um, this, Gor- this Gondorian prince did nevertheless uh, um, receive the dream, you know, at least once. So uh, so there we go. Um, so, yeah. Um, so it seems like a good plan. And we only get the one statement about Boromir. He's a valiant man. He's a valiant man, which is really interesting. Now, a couple of you are saying he claims he received the dream. We talked about this before. I think that doubting Boromir's word there is very rash. We have no reason to question Boromir's word. And lying about something like that would have been an enormous deal, like an enormous, enormous deal. Um, uh, To accuse somebody of lying about something like that, like it's... um, uh, we talked about this months ago. 
probably more than a year ago, um, that, um, uh, you know, we kind of don't think anything of either, you know, uttering falsehoods like that or accusing people or suspecting people of uttering falsehoods like that. But in this culture, um, man, it's, uh, it would be a, a huge, enormous deal. Like you need to be prepared to fight Boromir to the death if you suggest something like that. And, um, um, and it's not just that, it's not just that his honor is such that he would kill you if you said that though he might, um, it's just it's it's not part of that world. Like uh, they're truth speakers, right? Uh, it's not just his brother, right? Um, so I absolutely believe Boromir that he had the dream once. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, we we would need uh, you need to have strong evidence if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that claim, basically. Um, and we have none, I think, at all. Um, uh, now I, I agree. It is strange that it only comes once to him, or I wouldn't necessarily call it strange. I'd call it a little conspicuous, right? Like this message is your brother is the chosen vehicle here, but it does come to him once. It does come to him once. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, why? I don't, um, I don't know. Druid's Fire says you keep calling until someone picks up the phone. Maybe. Maybe. Um, uh, perhaps. Pro- perhaps. So perhaps so he could back his brother, Kurtzimus. Um Yes, I can easily imagine. In my headcanon, um, we have no direct evidence for this, but in my headcanon, <clears throat> that conversation... Faramir saying, Father, I have had this dream, and I think we sh- I should go to Imladris and seek for the sword that was broken. Um, I think that, in my headcanon, Denethor did not take this very seriously until the dream came to Boromir. And Boromir says, Hey, Dad, I had the dream, too. I know just what he's talking about. This is absolutely what we should do. And, yeah, Jimmy is just suggesting exactly that thing. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's... Um, um, right. Or, yeah. Chris says, or, or maybe Faramir never even brought it to Denethor. Um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But I mean, it's, so, it's easy to imagine circumstances like that, that would lead to, uh, Boromir receiving the dream as well as a confirmation or affirmation of his brother's, um, uh, you know, of his brother's, what, like legitimacy. Cause again, it's not that, Faramir's word is being doubted. It's just that his dreams are not being taken seriously as like a serious prophetic thing. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Amethorn, they did not exactly have the best of relationships. Um, and can you the whole wizard's pupil thing, right? That Denethor's whole attitude towards Faramir, super easy for me to imagine Denethor kind of rolling his eyes. When Faramir's like, I have had this prophetic vision, Father, in which, like, I, you know, it's like, oh, great. Here it comes. Here it comes. Right. Um, stop wizards pupiling for crying out loud. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so, um, I, yeah. Okay. He is a valiant man. 
oh man, we're late again. But we're like four words, oh, five words away from the end of this slide. He is a valiant man. Isn't that interesting? Boromir is the only one who is praised as part of the presentation in the company. We don't get anything about how awesome Legolas is. We don't get anything about how awesome Gimli is. We don't even really get anything about how awesome Gandalf is. We're just told this is his job, and he can retire after this. right? We're not told how awesome Aragorn is. We're just told he's a ranger and the chieftain of the Dúnedain, and there's unfinished business with his line in the ring. Nobody's credentials are being presented as justification for their being involved. In fact, that whole concept seems to have been a contrary to this. Like I said, we're not, we're not building the dream team here, right? You know, this is not like, yeah, let's put together the people who've... Th- we've got the skills, we've got the tools, right? That's, that's not um, how they're building it, right? But he is a valiant man. Now, I agree, Sam is faithful, stunned duck. You are right. Sam is praised with you and your faithful servant. In an adjective, he is praised. Um, But that's not, that is being given as a courtesy description, right? Um, You and your faithful servant, with you and your faithful servant shall go. Nobody says, um, with you, your servant shall go. He is a faithful servant, Right. Like as if that were like the justification for why he's going. Like it's just it's part of the package with Sam, obviously. But here and I don't want to say it's exactly justification. Explanation. Reassurance. Right. Boromir's a complete stranger. Now, so are Legolas and Gimli to Frodo. Right. But he is a valiant man. Strikes me as. Interesting. Because he's being. It's hard for me not to feel like there's a little bit of which of these things is not like the other, right? With you and your faithful servant, neither of whom is at all suited to this particular kind of quest, right? I'm going to send you with the following people. I'm going to send you with Gandalf because he's got to punch the clock. This is his job, right? Uh, And I'm going to send you with Legos and Gimli, who are kind of going in your direction and have politely said they'll go a little bit out of their way to keep you company for a bit. Then there's Aragorn. Um, He looks like he is destined to be your helper in this, except actually, no, he's really doing something else, and he's just going in the same direction you are going in, right? And then there's Boromir, who's also going in the same direction. But he's a strong fighter. Like, everyone else is introduced as not... Again, no one is recommended for their qualifications. And then here comes Aragorn recommending Boromir for his qualifications. Right? And that's... Again, I'm not trying to say it's like a huge red flag or something like that. It's just kind of interesting. It's just kind of interesting. Um, Valiant as in courageous, I think. I think. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, yes, Valiant is in Courageous. Um, yeah, Matt Violinus says in, in his headcanon, Aragorn has had to push for Boromir's inclusion. Um, maybe. 
Um, you're right, Hugo. It's a short sentence. Yes, I agree. I didn't bring that up, but you're absolutely right. It's one of the reasons, it's another reason that sentence stands out. Look at that compared to everything else that's said here, right? Look at all of the sentences on this entire slide, right? Um, you know, we've got lots of compound sentences and compound complex sentences, um, I, uh, you know, even the dialogue, right? Uh, I would have begged you to come only. I thought you were going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. Um, uh, he is a valiant man, right? Yeah, it's not quite and Morgoth came brick tales, but it's like, it's like uh, one peg down from that, right? Um, uh, yeah. So I think that that's, um, It makes it jump out again, too. I can't help but feel like it's he's like he can't. I don't know. Can't think of anything to say. Right. Like he's um, brave. So that will be handy, except that's not been the point at any point. Um, (laughs) Maria says, Boromir, I love your new red shirt. Ouch. <laughs> oh, oh man, that hurts. That hurts. All right, I should let, I, we should stop. We should stop. I've kept you guys late. We've done like two extra long sessions on this one slide, but come on. This is an important passage here. Um, next week, we shall go on to discuss uh, the inclusion of the lat. We've, uh, we're still not at the requisite nine. Remember, we, it has to be nine. It's got to be nine. Right, the company of the ring shall be nine, and uh, we're still we're still a few down. Right, we've only we've only got seven. So uh, where are we going to go from here? All right, um, uh, you're right, faith or praise. They all they are all important passages, but this one is especially important. Um, um, <laughs> Chris says there remain two to be found, and the ants are taking forever to respond. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thank you, everybody. I'm done. It's field trip. It is belated field trip time. Uh, Thank you for joining us for a text discussion this evening. And we're going to finish our looking at the Elder Slade here this evening. All right. Hey. Okay. All right. Um, So let's... Meet at uh, Anak Kurfu this time. Okay. Let's, well, I'm, we've been going there first anyway, but let's just go there first and, and stay there this time. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, all right. So if I missed you, I'll get you when you get to Anak Kurfu, yeah. Stable. But yeah, it's like, I, I, I feel like some of the talking about this, uh, of all the races of the free people, I think the Hobbits have had the least to do with men. Wait, sorry, what did you say at the end? They, they have the what? Oh, they haven't had much to do with men, especially men, like, all the way down in Gondor. They weren't quite like these folk. hmm But the other part is, you know, I, I get the feeling maybe Boromir didn't make the best first impression of the council. Right. I mean, right. he was loud and he interrupted and he demanded troops and he scoffed. Yeah, doesn't it sound a little bit like he is a valiant man is kind of falling into an awkward silence? Right? Yeah, it's definitely one of, yeah, it's definitely one of those. Uh, uh, he, he fights much better than he talks. Kind of. 
Well, for, especially since Frodo and Aragorn have just been having this moment, right? Yeah, I know. Like, oh, I'm so glad. I would have begged you to come. Oh, and Boromir's coming too. Oh. Oh, that's, oh, that's nice. Okay. Uh, it'll be oh, nice to have the, the oh, total okay. stranger. Okay, let's Turn try to adjust. No problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let's see. Let's see if that helps at all. I don't know if you can you turn your mic up a little bit. I've got your mic a little oh, bit soft could. also. I don't know which way I'm turning. Is this up or down? Um, you talk on your own so I can adjust it. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I turned you up a little bit on my side too. I might be able to do something else to turn you up maybe, but... All right, all right, all right. Any better, any better? Okay, here, let me try to do within... I'm not better? hearing a huge difference. Mm. A little bit better. Okay. A little bit better. Let me... Uh... I mean, I am trying to keep my voice down so I don't wake up my kids. Well, that is always an issue, too. That, yeah. That does help, um, I'm sure. Okay. All right, I'm not sure. I don't think mm. that's going to help, actually. Um, oh, well, let's see. Maybe it will. Okay, is this any better? Yeah, that's better. That's better. Okay. Oh, goody, goody, gumdrops. Okay. I can hear you better, anyway. Okay, all right. Anyway, yeah, like I said, he and Frodo were having a moment, and then he's like, oh, and uh, I'm also going to bring along this perfect stranger. Um, you know, I mean, notice how they kind of, again, Legolas and Gimli were perfect strangers too, but they get sandwiched between Gandalf and Aragorn, right? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'd also understand that that even if they didn't know Legolas and Gimli uh, personally, they knew their people, and to hobbits, I'm right. sure that's a great deal. Right. I mean, Gimli is practically a family friend, right? Even though they've never okay. met him. I mean, he's glowing son. So like, hey, what could be more fun? Um, you know, uh, he could be like off for the first time off on the road with dwarves like that's Frodo could. You know, I mean, that's cool. Like um, yeah. that's going to be an awesome thing. But um, and Legolas like, OK, Elves of Mirkwood again, like, hey, this is uh, this is, uh, you know, Bilbo's um, uh, Bilbo's tales coming true right this is um if anything both of those two both Gimli and Legolas would serve to um amplify that kind of parallel right between his yeah. journey and Bilbo's journey that we were talking about before but with still um, unknown quality to Frodo he would have mostly seen Noldoran in his memory. right right but again like the memory of Bilbo's um, oh, yeah. stories, you know, would would be, you know, there'd be a vicarious familiarity with the elves of Markwood, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, after all, it was it was uh, it was um, it was Legolas's dad who named um, uh, who named him an elf friend and Bilbo an elf friend in the first place, right? That's so right. Uh, yeah, so anyway um, uh Bricktails asked, did Bilbo know Legolas before this? 
he has to have. I mean, it's not mentioned because, of course, when he wrote The Hobbit, when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, Legolas hadn't been invented. So, uh, of course, Legolas isn't in The Hobbit. Um, but this is what I mean, I've been saying this since well before The Hobbit films came out, you know, when people were there were a bunch of people who were like, oh, they're putting Legolas in The Hobbit just because they want Orlando Bloom to do more fancy things, which, of course, they did want Orlando Bloom to do more fancy things. But the inclusion of Legolas in The Hobbit films is an absolute, it's not just a no-brainer, it's a complete necessity. Like, you'd need a reason to exclude Legolas from that story. Um, yeah. I mean, you'd have to have to come up with a really compelling reason of, like, where he was off at Elvish boarding school or something during that period, or like, th- why he wasn't there. Twin brother. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, there's, there's got to be right. some reason, because absolutely he would have been there. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I uh, now yeah, uh, Edith, or Emily, I'm not uh, trying to defend what happened with Legolas in the films. I'm just saying the mere idea that Leg- Legolas would be president is an almost logical ne- necessity. Um, and so again, yeah, therefore, right, right, right. But again, the, the 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 point is to answer the question: Would Bilbo have known Legolas? Yeah. Right. I mean, like retroactively, it's not mentioned in The Hobbit. But again, if we're retconning, as Tolkien was retconning, as the world had developed, would he have had to retcon at least a familiarity between Bilbo well, and, and Legolas? I think so. He wintered there on his way back. He wintered there on his way back. Well, they didn't spend the whole winter. They spent the whole winter with Bjorn, but he does spend, I mean, he travels with them, right? With Thranduil and Legolas would presumably have been there. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I can't imagine he doesn't know. And so there is a sense, um, there is a sense that, um, I, there is a sense that both in that sense, both Gimli and Legolas are kind of like family friends or like adjacent to family friends. Um, As opposed to this, you know, shouty, beardy man from the South who he doesn't know from Adam. Right, exactly. Who um, uh, was already, at least to some extent, um, kind of alarming in the council. Alarming in the South. The dude, the other dude who kept interrupting uh, Elrond and stuff. Um, Anyway, we should probably, are are we good? Are we ready to ride? Okay, so what I want to, this I think is our last day in the Elder Slade. Um, And so what I want to do is I want to ride from here and ride the back trail up to Wormsgraf from where where we are, so that we can kind of see it, the approach from both sides. That's my hope and plan. And why I'm attempting to do this on a war steed, I don't really know, but we'll give it a shot. We're Wormbait A, the others are Wormbait B. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do mountains on a war steed. That's just uh, the uh, double-edged think, sword right there. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to just, like, stop attempting to do this entirely here. <laughs> okay. All right, turning, let's let's be sensible. An yeah, exactly. Okay, so where's the path? The path is somewhere off to the right, but I, I, I don't so. see. Is it up ahead a little bit still here? I see it from the cliff, but I can't see it now. One of the things that I'm interested to see is what relation it has with these dwarf cities down here. It was going up behind the Angmarim. Um, I think it's before the river, isn't it? Yeah. It's definitely on this side of the river. This is a different river. This is not the 
Uh-huh. No, but but it's this river. I'm looking at the map. The road goes up on the on the side of this river. So I guess we just kind of uh-huh. we just kind of work over land, which answers yes. part of my question that the apparent road or path up here uh, on the map is not actually a road. So there's no evidence that there was any kind of a road or path, an actually beaten yeah. road or path up there from here. Whereas there there was a definite road before, and that could well have been. I don't think it was paved, the other road, um, mm-hmm. uh, the one that we went up last time. Um, so it could be no older than the more recent invasions of the, um, of the you know the the, the later Angmarim here. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we're getting attacked. Yes, yes, but quite a few things here, but. It's a busy trail up here. Yeah. Um, traffic. Okay. Yeah. No, but this is the trail. There is some traffic here. Ah. Oh. Okay. Whoa! That got half of me. Dismount. Dismount. Yeah. Man, new armor and everything. Okay. Now, of course, there's one thing we still have not found. The thing I've been hoping for since we came to the Elder Slate. What I have wanted to find more than anything else. Which is the cave where Skatha the Worm used to live. That is the number one thing I came to the Elder Slate to attempt to find. Or hoping to see, perhaps, I should say, more accurately. Now, I got Fromsberg, and so that was good. Yeah, I was glad yep. to find Fromsburg. Okay, just checking where we are. All right, we're, we're only about halfway up yeah. there. And it, it might be a quest lock thing. Maybe. Maybe. But so I'm. Uh, but I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine that they didn't include it. Like I, it must be here. I insist that it will be here. Boy, the uh, dragons right. all over the place up here. There are lots and lots of dragons. That's not called Wormscraft for nothing. Well, yeah, I reckon not. Okay. Like it says on the chin. Yeah. Oh, they're lots swimming. You swimming again. Dragons can swim. Swim. That's funny. Why does he bother to do that, I wonder? I don't know. Somebody help me. <laughs> yeah, Nancy, that's a really good point. I don't even actually know what worms slayed. So, worms graf? What does that mean? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I know the worm part. An Elden Graf a while back or something like that. Hey, that was some pretty excellent rune keeping right there. Yeah, yeah, well done. Okay. So, yeah, this is definitely not a well tended path. Uh, nobody walking around up here, but tons and tons of drakes and such. And gorse bushes. Ugh. 
and gorse bushes. Stick of bushes, stick of bushes and dragons. Okay, but I think we're just about back to where we were. It's right up there at that crest by those dead trees that we stopped last time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, so there is an approach. I was wanting to see if there was a road this way from the dwarf side. That's why I wanted to come back around and come this way. Mm-hmm. Um... And there was not, so that was interesting. Mm-hmm. As I would not really have expected there to be. So this is the path we did not go up before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this well, is, yeah. This, is this is where we stopped. Ooh, there's a bridge. Look at that. Is it a dwarven bridge? Um, well, it's wooden, and it looks a lot like their... Yeah, I think this is recent. Wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah it does look dwarven, but it looks recent. Like the some of the reconstructed wooden bridges that we saw further south. Yes, this is definitely like the ones we saw in... At the other villages, so yeah, around the same time. Okay, so that's interesting. Even though there's no road up here, and it's obviously still plenty of, uh, you know, obstacles, lots of fauna up here, um, but they they did build a bridge, right? So they did come to they did come to visit oh. up here. I thought he was dead. He just—he was just lying with his tail up in the air. I saw one also doing that, like a like a duck uh, rooting around yeah. in the water. Okay, now we're the we're, we're Wormsgraf proper here. Wormsgraf, yeah. Now this is I, just I, another cold drake like the other ones, right? No, no, that looks like a big cavey thing up ahead. I mean, he was. Yeah, well, that that the fire drake there, that cold drake rather, was just striding out of there like in a very proprietary sort of way. But, um, oh. but I, it, I, yeah, okay, all right. This looks like it is almost certainly it. Very promising. Can we get in? Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yes. <laughs> This has got to be it. It's got to be. It's nice to be in a high level. Whoa, so another... There's a big old skeleton over here, but this is the same size as the skeletons down in the hobgoblin camp. Okay, so if these drakes and worms and such are the remaining, uh, you know, like offspring or whatever... These are the, like, distant, distant... Like, there used to be offspring, which were all really big. Yeah. Right? There was a whole bunch, or maybe either bunches of dragons or generations of dragons. Or both. But it does suggest that Scott of the Worm was bigger than this. What's over here? Is there anything over here? A whole nother wing? Oh. Whoa! <gasps> cool. You probably want to go follow them. <laughs> okay, I'll go follow them. Okay, something cool down here? Yes. Okay, let's see. 
Ooh. What? Piles of gold? Yep, and it's mine. All mine. So I probably shouldn't try to fight you for it then. No, I'll probably kill you. Yeah, it's true. Hologro wants to know if he can tell you what this actually is. Okay, uh, so one thing that it obviously is not is the horde of Scoth the Worm. Because, you know, I mean, uh, the like, it can't be. I mean, they seriously, like, left all this gold lying here for a thousand year a thousand years i mean yeah. i don't know i don't i mean could be the remains somebody's been hauling it out and just hadn't gotten done with it yet no. i mean there's bridges to come in and out look there's a whole yeah. camp of hobgoblins right i mean yeah they've made bridges and stuff i um like so I was I was quoting like you know you know piles of gold what Gandalf says you know when the hobbits are asking if there's still piles of gold lying around in Moria, right? And Gandalf is like, what piles of gold? Like you know you're you're not thinking what you're saying. Like the or the god the you know the or the goblins have, you know, looted this place for a long time. Well, they've had as long to loot this place. Why would there still be treasure lying around? I mean, even if From, who killed Scott the Worm, was like, nah, I'm good. There's a sweet horn here. I'll just take this sweet horn, which will eventually be given to Mary someday. And um, and that's fine. I'll leave the rest. I'll leave the rest. Um, even if he did that, uh, even if um, From had done that, then... Um, would the dwarves have done it? I mean, the dwarves later on kill from, right? There's war between them and from. So the dwarves we know were here and active at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they wouldn't have taken it. None of them. Not a single dwarf. They would have been like, oh, yeah. So that idiot from left most of the treasure just sitting there. But it's fine. We'll just we'll just leave it there. We'll just leave it there. And then even if they had done that, for some very good reason, best known to themselves. The, would the orcs have done it? The orcs and the goblins and the Angmarim who came here since then? They'd be like, oh yeah, uh, great big, huge heaps of gold in the mountain up there. But um, yeah, you know, uh, it's fine. We'll just leave it be. Because some idiot human, you know, a thousand years ago thought that it was cursed. I don't know. The bridge implies this was part of a dwarven project. Maybe it was a temporary thing. Ended up going wrong. I mean, I could believe that they think it's cursed, and it might actually be cursed. But um, I, um, <laughs> JJ has a very interesting question, and the answer is a really big backpack. What, well, um, there is a big purple thing in the back. Uh-huh. In the back, it looks what? like a gigantic backpack. Yes, it is. That is the pack, if ever I saw one. We're over here, yeah. 
I'm standing on it. I can't, as usual, I can't see it. Oh, I thought that's a pack. Yeah. That you're, that you're standing on. Yep. Okay. Okay. As before, I can see it better on my, uh, on my stream preview than I can see it on my actual screen. Okay. <laughs> right. Yep. Looks like, oh, a, like a ball of twine or something, but it's pack. Okay. So it would appear there were giants in the land in those days. Yep. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's a giant pack to carry away all the gold. There's a very large box. Yep. There's definitely gold in the backpack. And yeah. So whom do we think, whose pack do we think that was? A very hobgoblin? Large. Mountain troll? A, a big old mountain troll of some kind, maybe? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say probably not dwarf. Right. Um, a giant? Uh, yeah. I mean, do we know any giants around here? You know, no, I don't. Uh, that doesn't mean they weren't here. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. And the box is funny because it's a huge box, but it looks like a small box, like the hasp. Mm -hmm. Proportionally, it looks like a. I mean that 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 looks like a, a you know a, a dresser top music box expanded, doesn't it? Do you, do you see what I mean about the fact that it it looks like a small box that's huge instead of a box that was just somebody sat down to yeah. build a you know six foot by ten yeah. foot box. It's like, it's like a it's like a like one of those pod storages. Right. Okay, yeah, so here's a counter, right, stolen from a giant, Lathnornileth, sorry. Um, so let's, um, let's follow <clears throat> that line of thought. What if the bag and the box were not bought, brought by a giant or a hobgoblin or something to carry the treasure away? Um, what if they were stolen from a giant and used by Skatha to bring the treasure here in the first place? That would be typical dragon behavior. I mean, if he was robbing giants. Yes, but the question is, if this was always a worm cave, why the dwarven bridge? Was there an attempt made to liberate some of this that went badly? Well, you've got to think they had it in their mind, right? Oh, yeah. Where are the big swords? I see this sword, which, though large, looks like a very big claymore here. I think a Bjorning could handle that. Yeah, I mean it's a big sword, no question. But it's yeah, over um, here with me and JJ. It's on it's on the side of the gold pile. Oh. Oh, that very low res large sword. I didn't even notice that it was a sword. Oh dang! Yeah, yeah that gold pile is very low res. Yeah. It's an illusion. I can see it a little better from back here. Okay. Right. Well, if that's a sword, that would, I mean, that would, that would, um, that would go with, um, uh, that would, 
go with the stole it from a giant. Uh, um, yeah, the stole yeah. from a giant uh, uh, theory. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. dragons sending their little dragons to Montessori school with giant backpacks. <laughs> sure. That's totally what the giants would be doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Mudmore says squinting won't help me see low res things. No, but it makes everything else look low res, so it kind of blends then. Yeah, That's yeah. His, my rationale. Um, right. Toromarthen, exactly. The giant kept its purse, right? Or rather, that, that was the giant's purse that we were seeing before that Laurie was standing on. So yeah. I don't remember seeing bolts of cloth like this before. Me neither. I was kind of, I was very much pleased by seeing them. It's a nice, it's a nice paisley. Yeah. And I mean, unless, uh, unless these are giant, uh, like handkerchiefs or something, um, but they're clearly bolts of fabric, you know, wrapped around boards like that. Um, yeah, exactly. Emily, they're normal sized cloth bolts. That's what I was noticing. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, that, that tracks as I think not everything here is of giant size. This armor, for instance, a little oversized. I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't quite fit me. There's a, de- a sword sticking out here, a small one. Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely some reasonably sized things. Even these vases. I mean, like decorative urns do run in sizes like that. So that's oh, yeah. conceivable. Oh, these look like little elven daggers over here, or or short swords. Right. Where? Down here at the foot. Down here where... Uh, it's the same sword that Kiriana uses, actually, but yeah. smaller. Where? Over here? Yeah, over here. Oh. Down here by the edge. Right, like right in, in, the, the, in that little pile over there. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So this is... There's definitely some... And look, even the the coins, Right. We've got little coins and we got big coins. So, yeah, if not the original pile, then someone's at least started a new one again. <laughs> Maybe they're gravid. Maybe they'll have a nest soon. Have a clutch of eggs soon. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. Or attracting a mate. Maybe this is how dragons right. impress other dragons, like bower birds. Right. Tomas, you could try stealing a cup. Um, that might work Do out. See what yeah. Very There's an interesting. interesting question in Twitch chat. Mekinba wants to know whose face would be on that coin. No idea. No, well, it's yeah. especially curious in regards to these oversized coins. Now, I don't see... I guess some of them do kind of look like they have a face on them. Yeah, well... If I could see the faces more clearly, that would be just the question I would be asking. Yeah, right now they just look like jammy dodgers. Yeah. Interesting thought, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So... I will require, when I get here in a questing way, a pretty good story 
to explain why the treasure is all still here. But just as I trusted that I would find uh, the lair of Scava the Worm, so too I trust that there will be a good story about why the treasure is still here. Because um, that's just weird. That's Quite just weird. Bets, folks. Yeah. Um, and we should go, there's like one other tunnel that we did get. I don't know if there's anything over there. It might just be other worms over there. But since there's like one wing of this one uh, lair is the only part of this whole zone that we've not done, we might as well finish it up so that we can yeah. start somewhere else next week. Okay, look. <laughs> On our trip up here, I've completed the Dragon Slayer deed <laughs> by not doing anything. Okay, so we're got we've got there. um, what is this a chasm? Yeah, with like water mm -hmm. down there, and oh hey, somebody lives here. Huh. Huh. Looks like huh? one person lives here. Who's been sleeping in my bed? So there's a bed and. Stacks of crates and pickles, uh, pickles, and tools. Oh, I'm gonna say a ranger of Athelion might be here. You think? I think so. This is their style. They're generally more collected and put together than your average wanderer. Oh, there's yield barrel of swords. Yeah. I'm not seeing. But uh, what's the logic in living here? I'm not seeing an open food barrel or crate, which is too bad, because that often gives us a hint as to who it is. Yeah, as to whether it's, you know, maggots or actually fruit and veg. Yeah, they do look to me like... The they do look to me like blacksmithing tools. And yeah, we've got a like a dagger or something stuck in the table. Which is rude. But it's a fairly plain dagger. There's no real hint there. Yeah. Nothing obvious. Um, oh, yeah. This place is about function, not form. Yeah. Except maybe some of these pickle pots, which are kind of pretty. Yeah, these are pretty elaborate pickle pots over here. That's true. Hmm. The barrel of swords, all, the all, swords all seem to be pretty plain and man-shaped mm -hmm. versus yeah. work-shaped. Yeah, man height too. And, On the uh, tool bench, there's like a hilt here. Yeah, or orcs sticking would not keep out. jars like this pretty for long. No, no, it's clearly not orcs. Um, it's clearly not orcs. How do they blacksmith anything? There's nothing like forge-like here. No, there isn't a forge. You grab well, a dragon by the tail and squeeze. I was going to say, you've know. got a bunch of convenient dragons nearby, so, yeah. Maybe it's just for quick fixes. Yeah. Not sure about that. Maybe he doesn't forge here. I don't know. Maybe he just brought his tools. Uh, Maybe there's a bellows somewhere that we don't see. I agree. This fire would not melt even ordinary gold, JJ. You're completely right about that. Nope. Um... Maybe he's just collecting nasty weapons and then they're going to fix it somewhere later. I'm just curious claw-like contrivances on this blacksmith thing. Mm. The one with the hilt in it? 
I don't know. Yeah, there, there's like one sticking up out of the top shelf and there are two hanging down. They kind of look like, I thought they were bulbs or mini bellows, but there's like one open, there's kind of like a bell, but it's like a claw. Yeah. If you look yeah. at the one sticking up. Exactly. It, it looks like a, a claw, you know, in one of those, uh, you know, grab the toy games. Gondorian thing. claw machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it definitely looks like it's meant for taking hot things out of fire. Possibly. But what about the thing inside? It, it kind of is yeah. like a flower with a pistol and a stamen inside when it opens up. Yeah. Oh. Very strange. I have no idea. I don't know. If I was stuck in here, I'd get pretty bored and start making metal flowers. Maybe. Yeah, I don't... Keep morale up. I mean, with one bed and all of this equipment, it's like this person is planning to be here for a really long time. Well, these tools are super rusty, though. These these don't look like good, serviceable tools. Agreed. Though the fire is still burning, so presumably the person was here recently. But um, not smithing. And didn't know. No, as you say, no forge. So that's no shock. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looks like he's been, if anything, it just looks like he's been collecting rusty tools. <laughs> right, right. Barrel of rusty swords and rack of rusty tools. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hard to say who is living here, but that someone is living here and means to live here long term, adjacent to the treasure, without obviously removing any of it or bringing any of it over here or... um doing anything over there. I don't know. It w- Could this person be a guardian of some sort? Um, I think there's some person in the treasure that no one's supposed to get. Or right, or like, um, you know, stay away from the cursed treasure. Trust me, you don't want to go there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That is, But it's got to be part of the treasure story, clearly got to be part of the treasure story. Um, Nancy, it could be a dedicated dragon dentist. They do look like very large dentist tools. And um, so they could be practicing active dentistry on the dragons who are still living here. Um, That would be an explanation. That would be an explanation. Which means that it's probably an elf. Yes, I think we can all agree that that's likeliest. So I think we've solved it. Elf dentist uh, serving the dragon population. Elf dentist. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, You always wanted to know what came of him later in life. And this apparently is where he ended up. So I think that works. I think that works. Um, Okay. Um, All right. Well, that is cool. I, so, goodness, there was more of the uh, Lair of Scout of the Worm than I expected by a good deal. Um, yeah. Now I want to know what drag, what giants he, he looted uh, and what was the backstory there. But um, uh, And, of course, obviously we need to know more about Kirby the Elf Dentist, though maybe we don't. I mean, solitary elf dragon dentists can be reclusive, so we should respect okay. his space, perhaps. Um, yes. But, um, yeah, 
Yeah. So, okay. Um, all right. So next week we are going to start with Oregian, right? My suggestion is that we go, we meet, we go straight to Gwingris next time. We begin the exploration of, because we don't want to actually travel into it because we want to wait till we go there with the fellowship. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can begin the exploration of the parts of uh, of Eregion which are not in the narrative itself, right? Okay. Um, so we'll begin okay. preemptively filling in the rest of Eregion, and then we'll go back to the actual pathway of the Fellowship after we get to okay. that part. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Cool. Excellent. Well, thanks everybody for joining me. Sorry for another, I'm tr- go, I'll try to be better. I've been bad the last two weeks as far as ending on time is concerned. I'll try to I'll try to be better about that uh, in future. Thanks everybody. And I will see you guys next week. Good night now. Bye.